Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Adam Smith, who is the president and founder of the Colorado Real Estate Finance Group. Welcome, Adam. I am that, and thank you. I'm glad to be here. So, Adam, tell, tell us what got you into real estate. Ooh, uh, that's a really good question, and it's been so long, I'm not sure that I could even recall it. Um, I mean, it was mostly uh, being recruited. Um, I really hadn't had much in the way of an adult job after school. I uh, thought I could hide out on the college campus for a while. Then I actually spent some time doing some work for a local elementary school, uh, school nurse, some substitute teaching, some special needs assistance, that kind of thing. But yeah, I was uh, essentially recruited into the real estate finance business. I worked for a company, a brokerage for a handful of years, um, and they are unfortunately out of business. And uh, I didn't see the writing on the wall uh, until it was essentially too late. Um, but uh, once we discovered it, I started my own practice and I took a... Uh, uh, a loan processor and another loan originator with me. And we worked around my dining room table for a couple of weeks while I incorporated and found an office and purchased a crappy used phone system. And that was, I think, about 17 years ago now. What is it about the, the financing of real estate that really kind of gets you going, gets you up in the morning, excites you and keeps you involved in it? Um, all good questions. Um, I originally, I think the attraction was that it could be a fairly lucrative career. And obviously in any pay for performance environment, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And I've never shied away from a work ethic. Thank you, mom and dad. Um, so that was certainly a big part of it at first. Um, it certainly developed beyond that because it has given me the opportunity to develop incredible relationships clients, employees, uh, colleagues, uh, just on and on. Um, and I think the, the staying power of it 
is that years and years ago, I really made a financial pivot, a personal financial pivot after owning and selling my very first home for a period of time. And it really laid a path for me to be debt-free and to purchase additional real estate and to really set down a path of some significant financial freedom. And I think I really just always have it in the back of my mind that I want that for everyone. Right. So what, I guess, what is it about that, 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 I mean, obviously everybody would love to be debt-free, own their own home, free and clear and so forth. But um, I guess, how do you attract clients with that? Well, that's, that's a good question. And uh, before we go too far down, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. I'm not certainly uh, in favor of people owning real estate free and clear. Mm-hmm. All of the other debt, cars, credit cards, student loans, I would certainly consider those bad debts. And I would consider mortgages to be good debt and the ability to leverage that debt. Um, but you know, our business at this point, after all these years, is strictly repeat and referrals. So the ability to interact with somebody new, and a good example would be today, uh, a past client referred their uh, daughter and son-in-law to purchase their first home and to start working on some facts and figures about what that would look like for their particular scenario. And I was able to regale them with the tale of how that first home purchase laid some great financial groundwork for me and even express a similar story that I had told yesterday at dinner for Father's Day to my nephew who's got his first job and his first car. And uh, I think what he said is that he wanted to buy another car. And I said, well, why don't you slow down a little bit? Why don't you save that money? Use it towards the purchase of a home at some point in the future because A to B, this is what it did for me by having that money, buying a home, so on and so forth. And I don't know where the colloquialism came from, but I think the exact verbiage is nobody ever got wealthy without owning real estate. Kind of now, I mean, we're, we're, I don't want to necessarily say we're coming out of the pandemic, but we're seems to be coming out of the pandemic. What do you see that happening, um, you know, to your industry? Ooh, that's a good question. Obviously, the pandemic laid uh, a very interesting set of circumstances on my industry. At the onset of it, uh, the financial markets turned to the point where mortgage rates were ridiculously low. And not that they aren't still, uh, not quite that same uh, level, but very, very close to it. Uh, So there was an enormous influx of business, obviously. That had a a subsequent effect on the real estate market, but from the homeownership, the mortgage market, um, there were a number of weird things that happened. And one of them was this enormous influx of business in the entire mortgage industry that really resulted in some interesting things that were a result of nothing but the sheer volume that... It could barely be handled. There just aren't enough people in the industry, that kind of thing. And I'm not just talking about loan originators like myself, but also underwriters and closers and title people and real estate appraisers and on and on. And one of the interesting things we saw was the uh, disruption and near eradication of what I would consider to be low-hanging fruit types of loans. And when I say that, I mean where it was easy for 
large mortgage, mortgage companies, wholesale mortgage banks, even retail depository institutions that do mortgages to eliminate less common products, whether it was jumbo loans, adjustable loans, uh, low credit score loans. Uh, at the time, there, was an enorm uh, there had been building an enormous influx of non-QM loans. I would rival that term to what we used to call subprime uh, prior to the real estate crash of yesteryear, which is probably a good dozen years ago now. Um, and it really got very, very vanilla. Typical FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, VA, even USDA. And there really wasn't a lot of variety in the mortgage industry. There weren't a lot of creative products. And as a wholesale mortgage broker, having access to all of those products is a big piece of what we're able to do versus a lot of our retail counterparts. And it definitely made a significant impact. It put a lot of people on hold for purchasing homes, refinancing homes, those sorts of things, um, particularly if you wanted to borrow a million dollars or if you had a 580 credit score or whatever the case may be. So that was probably one of the biggest changes early in the pandemic. Going through it, we obviously saw a fairly solid stabilization of what interest rates had done, although still remaining relatively low. Um, in March, there was a you know, February and March of this year. So as we're starting to come out of the pandemic, if that's how we can define it, uh, we did see an increase in interest rates. Again, they're still ridiculously low, but enough of an increase that it caused some waves to go through the industry. Uh, there was an enormous battle, and I'm not sure how to define it uh, exactly, in the wholesale mortgage world between a couple of the enormous uh, wholesale mortgage uh, banks out there. Um, and that caused some waves through the entire industry, not just the wholesale side, because one of those entities does both wholesale and retail business. Um, so February, March was a little tumultuous uh, for people in the mortgage industry. I'm not sure that it impacted the consumer a whole lot or that they were even aware of it. Um, and as we climb out of the pandemic, again, if we can call it that. And I do think that that's true. I think we're starting to see more and more of a return to normal. Um, I actually went to both the barber and the gas station this weekend without a mask, which I thought was uh, relatively interesting. And it was the first time I had uh, really participated in an indoor event without it. So um, that was unique. But I do think that we're coming out of it. Um, I do think that we've further delayed Inflation, from an economic standpoint, good, bad, I'm not really sure. I think it's going to take a room full of people a lot smarter than I am to figure out what that's going to look like. Obviously, this week's, this past week's Fed meeting alluded to some of that. There was a lot of turmoil in the markets, including the mortgage-backed securities market, despite the fact that the Fed did nothing. They didn't change rates. Um, although they did hint at a couple of increases in 2023. Uh, so there's still a lot of volatility, a lot of uncertainty about what that's going to bring. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the biggest impacts, obviously, has been the resulting supply and demand issue in the real estate market. Right. Um, supply, I think supply lends to some of it. 
you know, there are more people on the planet. We're living longer. We're staying in our homes longer, so on and so forth. The builders have slowed uh, labor and materials. We all saw when, what we all saw what went on in recent months with lumber prices, for example. Um, I think there are some issues on the supply side, but I do think what has gone on with mortgage rates in particular is fueling that demand side. And I'm uh, guilty of it. I've uh, purchased uh, an investment property late last year. I'm under contract to purchase another one closing next month. So um, I'm certainly guilty of being one of those people seeking out what limited supply that there is. Um, I do think as we start to see a return to a slightly greater norm, particularly in economic markets, certainly the mortgage-backed securities market, I think we curb the demand a little. If we can do some things like put everybody back to work, we don't have the labor shortage, uh, materials are being produced at a more normal rate, we curb some of the supply issue. So I think that as we, as you put it, continue to kind of climb out of the pandemic, I do think we start to see a greater return or a closer path to normal in what goes on in real estate and mortgages as well. So when a client comes to you, what are some of the questions you wish they would ask you that they're not? Oh, that's a really good question. What are my options? Because we pretty much all have them. If right. you're exploring a mortgage, um, you've got to understand that there are numerous different interest rates that you can entertain. And different interest rates provide different costs or yields off the mortgage-backed securities market. Um, and you can use those monies, the, those yields, to uh, apply towards your mortgage. And people don't understand that. If you want to build your closing costs into your mortgage balance, do you want to build your closing costs into your mortgage rate? What are the options with mortgage insurance? What are the options with adjustable loans, which have, again, started to make a return to the mortgage market after being virtually non-existent over the course of the pandemic? Because um, if I'm buying a house and I know I'm only going to live in this house for seven years, why wouldn't I entertain a seven-year arm? Right. Get a little bit of a break on the rate. Leverage that debt better. Save more money. Go invest it somewhere else that's going to have a greater return than the 2 or 3% that you're going to spend on the mortgage before we even start talking about tax deductions, et cetera. So I, I think what, I think the part of it that I would prefer is if we had a more uh, informed consumer base, that they knew what questions to ask. Now I don't mind force feeding our clients data. Hey, yes, I know you really like this two and a half percent rate, but are you going to own this house more than three or four years? Let's explore some other options. Have you considered a 20 year loan? Have you considered even something shorter on term? You're going to get a better break on the interest rate. You're well qualified for the payments. Or yes, I want a 15-year loan. Okay, but do you want to be bound to 15-year payments? Mortgage rates are so low right now that there isn't an enormous chasm between a 30-year rate and a 15-year rate like there had been in previous years and decades. So maybe take a 30-year loan, make 15-year payments on that loan, right. repayment penalty, uh, prepayment penalties don't exist on residential loans anymore and not be bound to that 15-year payment. Maybe one month or two or three, that cash flow is going to be more important to you. Maybe you want to take what you would save between the 15-year payment and the 30-year payment. Give it to your financial planner. Let them earn money on that money. I mean, there's just so many options out there. I, I think the biggest piece of the puzzle is that giving the consumer every bit and piece of that information that's relevant to their long-term financial picture is crucial. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, Adam, I really think that's, you know, some really good words of wisdom there because I, you know, too many people just automatically think, oh, I need to go 30 year because that's traditionally what they've been told to do. And obviously with the, the lack of education in our school systems and things like that on personal finance, I think that it's, you know, important for people like you and me to try to educate, you know, our, our clients and just the consumers. Speaking of that, it from a can you explain with what your credit score does to the rates that you can get? Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah, boy, again, if we had some personal financial literacy programs in the education system at any level, <clears throat> we would be light years ahead this way. Um, so depending upon what you're doing, credit scores may or may not have an impact on a specific mortgage rate. Now, obviously having a decent, good to middle, fair to middle credit score is a minimum baseline requirement for being able to borrow money towards the purchase of a home or for refinancing your home. But a lot of people will look at programs like FHA, which is a fantastic mortgage program. I'm not denying it. Uh, in fact, I think I have an FHA loan, although I'm working on refinancing out of it on my primary residence. VA loans, very similar, great program, probably the best the mortgage world has to offer, but it's pretty black and white. Either you qualify or you don't, and here's what the rates are today. Here's what the mortgage-backed securities market says what the rates are today. But there is an enormous percentage of the population that obviously does conventional loans, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and this is where you start seeing 13, 20, 15, 10-year loans, uh, adjustable rate loans, so on and so forth, and they are risk-based loans. So there are a number of factors. Loan-to-value ratio is a good example that do dictate what that interest rate is, and by far the biggest of them is your credit score. So if I'm looking at a typical 30-year conventional mortgage, Every 20 point block, so a 680 to a 699, a 700 to a 719, a 720 to a 739, so on and so forth, is going to have an impact on your mortgage rate. Now, they aren't enormous changes. They may not actually be changing the rate. They may, may merely be changing that yield or cost on any particular rate. But yes, the bottom line is that on the majority of mortgages, and certainly on all conventional mortgages, the better your credit score, the better your interest rate is going to be. Those are That's probably the single biggest risk factor when we're talking about the fact that mortgages, mortgage interest rates are risk-based. Now, have you found that most people, when they come in to, to talk to you, that they already know what their credit score is, that they have an idea, or is it one of those things where lots of times people are caught off guard based on what their score is? Uh, I would say the majority of the time people are caught off guard, and I'm no exception as I'm in the middle of the mortgage process for uh, both a purchase and a refinance myself. And I do use some monitoring services, uh, credit-wise, uh, thank you, Capital One. Uh, there's another system through Equifax. And I think in recent days, weeks, tops, what I was being told as a consumer what my credit score was versus what I saw my credit score as my own mortgage lender was, I think was about 50 points off wow. and not in my favor. Wow. And I would like to think that CreditWise and Experian are probably some of the better consumer reporting services versus something like a Credit Karma. Right. 
I think you might even see a bigger gap than that. So I would say certainly the majority of people uh, are not going to have a solid handle on what their credit score is. And credit where credit is due to CreditWise, to Credit Karma, there are dozens of different scoring models. The model that we use in the mortgage industry is different than in the car loan business, than in the credit card business, than in the property and casualty insurance business, so on and so forth. So it's almost impossible for an all-encompassing service like a CreditWise or a Credit Karma to be relaying the exact information that your mortgage lender is going to see. But that's why it's important to get a handle on that data specifically. But yeah, I would say the majority are significantly off from what they think their credit score is. More to the case where it's probably lower than their credit score is actually lower than what they think it is. But you'd be amazed at how many where it's significantly higher than what they think it is. Hmm. So um, somebody's coming to you first time buying a home um, or even maybe even in thinking about refinancing. What are some of the things that they need to be prepared to, to get you uh, when you when you guys first meet? Well, when we first meet, again, now we're talking about a very different uh, environment in the era of the pandemic. Um, we've had you know lots and lots of clients over the last 18 months that we've never laid physical eyes on, maybe through a Zoom meeting, but mostly phone, email. Uh, other secure internet systems, that kind of thing. But um, I would say having a handle on what your credit looks like is probably a big piece of the puzzle. Subsequent to that, having a good handle on where your money goes is an important piece of that puzzle. I will see people with $750 car payments. And granted, that's not outrageous by today's standards with what new vehicles cost. Whether that's you know purchase or lease, that's not it's not a a payment on a Ferrari by any means, right? right? But what people don't understand is that you know a ten thousand uh, dollar window on a mortgage translates to forty or fifty bucks a month. I mean, literally, uh, you could be talking about impacting your borrowing power, your home buying power by $150,000 with a $750 car payment. So I think having a handle on your debts, your debt to income ratio or a rough handle thereof. Um, and obviously when we're uh, talking about that particular calculation, we're talking about reportable debt, cars, mortgages, credit cards, student loans, and we're talking about gross income. Um, so I do think the consumer should have a rough handle on that. And then I obviously think that, you know, a big piece of the puzzle, um, and obviously your mortgage professional is going to calculate that out specifically, you know, down to multiple decimal places for you. But documentation is certainly key. Uh, obviously, the mortgage world only really cares about what it can prove. Tax returns, pay stubs, bank statements, uh, insurance, um, you know, you should certainly count on those things, income and assets and all the documentation that falls beneath those particular categories is important. Um, but I think what's really important to understand, and I think this is where the consumer uh, exhibits a lot of frustration because it's not well explained, is that mortgages are pretty much done on a federal level. The Federal Housing Finance Authority lays out pretty much every single mortgage lending guideline, certainly in the conforming world. 
and the rest of us just operate to meet those guidelines. And certainly things when it comes to credit scores and debt to income ratios, but more importantly, having to prove that you're employed. So when a consumer asks, well, you know, you don't really need this information from my employer. And yeah, the bottom line is that we do. Verifications of employment are important, along with the tax returns that show you're making income from that company, along with the W-2s that show you're making company, along with the pay stubs that show you're making in from income from that company. And yes, I, I understand why it's frustrating. A lot of this seems to come directly from the Department of Redundancy Department. But unfortunately, this is how the federal government lays it out. Bear in mind, they're the ones insuring your mortgages, whether that's FHA or Fannie Mae, whatever the case may be. Um, if you default on your loan and your property is foreclosed on, taken to auction, it's auctioned off for less than what is owed, it's these companies that are making up that gap. So they want to make sure that things are really well documented, really well detailed, so on and so forth. And I think the lack of proper explanation to the consumer of what will be expected and why causes a lot of frustration industry-wide. Right. Now, we've talked about a lot, of, a lot of good things, and I think you've provided the listeners with a lot of good information that I think most of the time people don't ask. And I'm, I'm going to say the biggest key that, that I'm taking away from this is to ask what your options are and to see what programs you can fit into. Um, what questions I haven't, haven't I asked you that you wish I had? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, I'm not really sure. I guess it's really going to depend on your target audience. But as the home financing consumer goes, what kind of information they should have, um, I think a big piece of the puzzle that is probably missing across the entire board is that the mortgage industry is a relatively competitive one. Your mortgage lender, your mortgage broker, the mortgage banker, with some exception because of their uh, federal banking charter uh, loopholes, the, the mortgage industry is relatively competitive. You're not going to see an enormous variation on rates. The mortgage-backed securities market dictates rates. You're not going to see an enormous variance on closing costs. Now, who pays them? Again, whether you're building costs into the balance versus the rate, those kinds of things um, will vary. But really, you know, there are a handful of government entities from the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau on down to your state's uh, division of insurance, if we're talking about title insurance or uh, appraisal costs, et cetera, where you're not going to see a lot of variation because of the heavy regulation on the industry. So I think one of the big pieces of the puzzle that people are missing is, who are you working with? And I've really done the research, not only on the uh, mortgage options, but on who's providing them to you. Have you gone online? Have you looked at their work history, which, by the way, through the National Mortgage Licensing System, is public record. Um, I think a 10-year history is required. Um, mine's obviously pretty simple because I've had the exact same role now for 17 years. Um, and only one other real uh, you know, job in my <clears throat> professional career with another mortgage brokerage before starting my own. But go look. I've seen it where you know, a mortgage originator was a truck stop cashier earlier this year or last year, whatever the case may be. Right. So remember how long ago I had looked that up. Um, go check out Google. Go check out LinkedIn. Go check out um, Facebook. Whatever the case may be, wherever people are able to 
air their gratitude or their grievances about somebody that they were working with or some company that they were working with. But I think as important as it is to do your research on the actual mortgage, those options, those products, I think it's considering how closely those are all are because of the government regulation, the competitiveness, I think it's just as important to go research who you're working with. Good, good, good uh, recommendation there. Cause I think lots of times people don't, they just, you know, they get the cold call or they get whatever and they just, they go with whoever it is. Well, there's certainly some of that. And I think that, that uh, unfortunately I do think that there's still an awful lot of bad going on in the industry for lack of a better term. Sure. And uh, you know full well that in a licensed industry, it's 99% giving the rest a bad name. Right. Whether that's CPAs or uh, attorneys, doctors, real estate agents, mortgage originators, on and on. Um, and people seem to focus on what they want to hear. Right. They hear they want to hear. They certainly hear what they want to hear. But that there's a much bigger picture that this guy told me I could get two and a half and you're telling me two, seven, five. Well, you know what? You ended up working with the guy who was a truck stop cashier last year and doesn't have the working knowledge about making sure that, yes, that may very well be what's best for you at time of transaction, but is that really what's best for your dollars in a year and three and five and 10, which is what that 1% is really going to focus on for their client. Right. So Adam, if, if our listeners like what they hear, and they want to talk to you, how can they reach out to you? Uh, that's a good question. I would say just to make it as easy on your listeners as possible, uh, without equivocation, the easiest thing for them is to text CORE, C-O-R-E, that's the uh, Colorado Real Estate abbreviation for our company. Uh, so if you text CORE to 63566, it'll ping you back all kinds of stuff about us. All right. Well, we appreciate your, uh, your wisdom today. And I think the listeners got a lot of good stuff. Oh, well, thank you, Gary. And thank you for the invite. So today our guest was Adam Smith with the Colorado Real Estate Finance Group. Thank you. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.